Personally, I really try to avoid using that word realistic because it's a buzzkill. Can you imagine if all of the amazing inventors, musicians, creatives, like startup founders, people like Sarah Blakely or like Serena Williams, like what if they just like didn't try to do things because it didn't seem realistic for them at the time? Welcome to the Early Career Moves Podcast, the show that highlights remarkable BIPOC young professionals killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Bolcha, Latinx career coach, corporate consultant, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we either dive into a special guest story or I'll share my own career gems. If you're a BIPOC professional feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, how's everyone doing? I am back today with part two of the career exploration series. A few episodes ago, episode 46, I introduced a framework to get you going on your career exploration process. And so today we're back with part two, or I'm back with part two. And what I'm doing here is I'm walking you through how to use design thinking to bring a framework and structure to the very ambiguous and messy process that is career exploration. And so on the first episode 46, I walked you through, first of all, what is design thinking? What does that even mean? How does it apply to a career exploration process? And I walked you through two exercises that can help you identify the career problem that you want to solve in your next career move. So design thinkers are always starting with a gnarly problem that they want to solve that is solvable. And so I walked you through two exercises to figure out the career problem that you want to solve. And that is the how's it going exercise, which looks at your areas of play, love, health, and work, and then the work and life view exercise. And so doing those exercises helps you start where you are, kind of take stock of where you are currently, and it helps you build a compass to guide you throughout your career exploration journey. And so by the end of that first step, you should have a clear idea of the career problem that you want to solve, as well as the areas in your life that feel balanced, unbalanced, and a sense of the values that will guide you as you begin exploring. The work-life exercise helps you assess how well your work fits your values and priorities, like how coherent your work is with who you are and what you believe. So if you haven't done that, I would recommend to go back to episode 46 and go through that process first because now we're going to move into a brand new, a, a new stage, which authors Bill Burnett and Dave Evans from Designing Your Life, they refer to as wayfinding and brainstorming. So just to give you an example of what a reflection might look like at the end of stage one, which was episode 46, your reflection could sound something like this. The main career problem that I want to solve is that Financially, I'm feeling behind and I want to increase my ability to save, invest, or plan for a family. A secondary problem that I want to solve is that I'm feeling very unbalanced in the health area of my life and I'd like to create a stronger boundary between my day job and my personal life. 
I know that I value making a positive impact on others and that drives my view of my purpose and why I'm here. I'm here to help others. And so it matters to me that I'm able to feel a sense of reward that I'm helping others in my day-to-day work and in my job. Okay, so that's pretty simple, right? Like it's pretty simple reflection. That's where you wanna be at the end of stage one. So you've identified your career problem. You have a sense of your guiding principles. You're now ready to start stage two. Stage two is all about starting to pick a direction to start moving towards and starting to brainstorm as many possible paths or solutions as possible. So remember, at this stage, we have no idea where we're going yet. We have a compass, but we don't even know, like, what is our destination? And so the authors of this book, like I mentioned, they call this wayfinding, which means we basically just need some sense of direction. So we have to start with two clues, engagement and energy. Those are the clues that we're going to anchor this process on. How are we going to access these clues? We're going to start with my first exercise for you, the good time journal exercise. Before I go into this, I'm going to quickly define engagement and energy. So engagement refers to times that you feel excited, focused. You feel you even feel like you're kind of like having a good time at work. And of course, the opposite of that is when you're feeling bored, unhappy, restless. And so There are probably some times that are coming to mind for you, right? Like personally, I love putting together like presentations and thinking of a story that I'm trying to tell. Like that's engaging for me. Now, there's a different concept called flow, which is engagement on steroids. This is more of like in the zone, euphoric type feeling. And so in that zone, you feel a lot of calm, you feel a lot of inner clarity, peace. Time seems to stand still or like it flies by. And so it's important that you start to think about what are areas in your life that you do experience flow in. And it can be simple like playing an instrument, cooking, painting, like it doesn't have to be work related. It usually isn't necessarily. But like what are the times that you do feel that And it's okay if you can't identify anything right now. I just do want to point out that flow is its own category. It's like extreme engagement, right? Normal, regular engagement is not necessarily flow. Okay, and then energy. So the difference between engagement and energy is that an activity can be highly engaging. For example, being a litigator in a courtroom is a highly engaging activity, but it can also be highly draining for people energy-wise. So when I think about energy, I think about like, how do you feel after the activity? Do you feel exhausted, drained, or do you feel like even more pumped up? I think a helpful way to think about this too is like the definition of introverted versus extroverted, like introverted people, they can be very social, but like after socializing, they feel very drained, like their battery is low. Extroverts, they socialize with people and then afterwards it's like their battery is fully charged. So think of it that way. What is your battery look like after a certain activity. We want to start to zoom in on what are those activities that are highly engaging, highly energizing. And the reason why is because work is fun when you lean into your strengths and you're deeply engaged and energized 
by what you're doing. I know that work can't always be fun. I don't think that's a helpful goal to have is like, I want to find a job that's always fun. Like, I don't think that exists. But, you know, you do want to optimize the opportunity for a role where you are using your strengths, you are energized, and you're highly engaged for a significant part of that experience. Because, hello, we work so many hours. And so why would we want to get into a job where you're super drained, super exhausted, you're not engaged? That is like no way to live, right? So that is kind of what we're zooming in on right now. Okay, the feel-good log is a journal that you'll keep for three weeks at least. It's basically an activity log where you record what kinds of activities you're doing throughout the day, and then you log when you're engaged, when you're energized, like what are those levels? Is it low? Is it medium? Is it high? And then you reflect on what you're discovering from doing these logs. So you make daily entries, you try to capture as much detailed information as possible. And so if I were you, I would probably do this for three days straight, like just logging the activities, logging how I feel afterwards, etc. And then take some time to reflect after those three days. So in the show notes, I'll actually add a link where you can click on it and you can download this worksheet. But honestly, you can just create three columns on a piece of paper. The first column, is the activity. The second column is the level of engagement. And then the third column is the level of energy. And then within the engaging column, you can add a little box for flow, like just in case you do feel flow at work, like you definitely want to make a note of that. If you're experiencing flow at work, first of all, congrats, that's amazing. But like you want to be aware of that. So the key here is you don't want to stay surface level, you want to dig deeper. So you don't want to just write like staff meeting, that was awesome. Or like staff meeting, I hated that. Like you want to dive into the particulars. You want to understand like what is it that's motivating how you're feeling. Let's say you had a staff meeting that you enjoyed. That's really vague. So you want to drill down into why it was enjoyable. So an entry that would dig a little deeper would say something like, staff meeting felt great when I explained to the team how a process was working and I answered questions for the team and team members actually said, wow, that's super helpful. Thank you. Like that's helpful data. Like that is data that can kind of help me and you understand like, why did that meeting feel great? Was it about the people? Was it about what you did? Was it about the response, the environment? Like, We want to dig into why that was satisfying for you and the same for activities that are not. So the authors, Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, also suggest using a acronym to reflect on your logs. It's called AEIOU. So A stands for activities. What were the activities that we were actually doing? Was it structured? Was it unstructured? Were you a participant or did you have a specific role? E is for environment, like what kind of environment were you in? How does it make you feel? I is for interactions. What were you interacting with? People or machines? Was it formal or informal? Was it a new interaction or someone who you were really familiar with? O is for objects. Were you interacting with objects or devices? That's worth noting. And then the last one is U for users. Who else was there? What role did they play in making it a positive or negative experience? So this activity can really help you zoom in on what works and doesn't work for you in a work setting. And try your best to not insert any judgment 
of yourself. That's really not necessary because like you might discover, for example, that you don't like working with other people and you prefer to spend long stretches of time alone. There's nothing wrong with that. So don't add more guilt or shame on top of yourself in this process. Like this is really is supposed to be like you taking a step back and objectively analyzing what do you enjoy? What do you not enjoy? So yeah, you should do this for about three weeks at least. And from that, you should be able to draw some powerful conclusions about what gives you energy, what is draining for you. And those will be very helpful clues for you as you start brainstorming possible solutions. Okay, so now we're going to move into the brainstorming stage. We want to ideate a lot about possible multiple life designs for you. And so this is where you need to be willing to question your assumptions about your life, like what's possible for you, what's not possible for you. We have to let go of the idea of a practical path at this point. So the word that comes to mind is realistic. Release the word realistic from your vocabulary during this stage. Personally, I really try to avoid using that word realistic because it's a buzzkill. Can you imagine if all of the amazing inventors, musicians, creatives, like startup founders, people like Sarah Blakely or like Serena Williams, like what if they just like didn't try to do things because it didn't seem realistic for them at the time? If you're someone who's like, well, that's not realistic and that's like a common thought that you have, you have to do some work around that and releasing that because it is a huge hindrance mindset wise and it just blocks so many possible paths for you. And so if you need some inspiration on releasing that word or concept of what's real for you in your life, I would recommend checking out the podcast How I Built This by Guy Raz. Like it is amazing. (laughs) Like you will hear lots of quote unquote unrealistic ideas that came to be. So definitely check that out. But yeah, I really believe that what we focus on is what we create in our lives. And so if we focus on our quote unquote constraints more than our possibilities, then we stay stuck in a cage. That's what happens. So anyway, in this stage, like I mentioned, you have to embrace the idea that there are multiple lives within you that you can live that are available to you right now. There's no one path. There's not even two paths. There's not even three paths. There isn't even a best path. There are multiple paths available for you. There are many different paths you can take to live an amazing, exciting life that works for you. And so what we do during this stage is we generate a lot of ideas. In life design, the more ideas, the better. So we're not going for quality ideas at this point. We're going for quantity. You also want to get comfortable with the idea that your first ideas are the worst ideas that you have. Like they're literally the worst ideas, (laughs) the least like creative, innovative. Designers accept that the first few ideas that you have are, are terrible. Which is kind of funny when you think about like most people try so hard to stay in the same career path that they decided at age 19 with very limited information. Like it's just so funny to me that innovation truly comes from iterating, prototyping, coming up with ideas that challenge so many assumptions about what's possible. And like when it comes to career, so many of us like are like, no, I have to stay in the path that I decided when I was 19 or when I was 24, when I was 26 or whatever, 27. We're going to put on 
our designer hat. We're going to acknowledge there are multiple lives available for you. We're going to recognize that the first ideas are going to be the worst ones. Put your Kanye West hat on. Like, let's channel a different alter ego if we need to. Okay. All right. I set the stage for the lens. The big ideation technique that we're going to use here is called mind mapping, which If you know anything about design thinking, you are probably already familiar with this concept. It works by using simple free association of words to open up idea space and come up with new solutions. It's a visual method so that we can silence the inner logical verbal sensor. And there's three main steps. One, you pick a topic, like you literally start with one word or a phrase. Number two, You make a mind map. So you put little like lines on the circle of the the word that you chose and you create new words or associations. And then number three, you make secondary connections and create concepts by mashing up all of the new associations you created on the outer part of the mind map. So you can Google what a mind map looks like. And there's also some software actually online that you can pay some money to use. One of them is called Mindly. One of them is called Coggle. There's so many of them. Stormboard, like just Google it. There's tons of them if you really want to do it online. But honestly, my recommendation is like go buy a big piece of white butcher paper or poster board. Or if you're lucky to have access to a whiteboard, use that. And that's all you need. Like that's literally all you need. So you only do it for three to five minutes because you want to do it also as quickly as possible. Like your goal is to dodge your prefrontal cortex, like the part of your brain that's like, I'm rational, I'm smart, like this doesn't make sense. We're trying to dodge that part of your brain and we're trying to go to the wild and, and funky. Okay, it's like that's what we're trying to do. And what we're, our end goal is like we want to create some concepts related to possible paths you could take in your career, surprising roles or jobs, okay? And you want to choose words and phrases from the outer branches of those words. So sample words that maybe would come up in my mind map would be things like mountains, skiing, publishing a book, speaking engagements, culinary school, learning German. Like these are so random, right? And let's say those come up in my mind map. Now I need to come up with what's a possible path that includes all of those. Once you get the hang of doing your first mind map or two, now what you want to do is actually combine your good time log with the mind map concept. So in this exercise, you're going to create three mind maps based on your good time log. One will be based on an activity you find very engaging So like this is after you've been doing the good time log for maybe three weeks or so. What's one activity you find very engaging? The second one will be on a very energizing activity. And the third one will be around your flow area. So ideally, you identify a flow area in your life. If you can't, that's fine. But ideally, you you are able to find one. And from each mind map, you want to create an impractical life path from each map. So for each mind map, you will pick out three disparate items from your outer rings, things that jump out at you. So maybe for me, it would be like skiing, culinary school, learning German. And so what I have to do now, the next step is combine those three items into a job description that would be fun and interesting for you and helpful to others. 
The last step is name your role. Give it like a job posting role, like the name, and create a little napkin sketch of it, a little illustration. So you want to do that process for each of the three mind maps so that you have three very different results. They should not be similar. They should be very different. So at the end of this exercise, you might have some plausible life career path options, but you might also feel like, well, that was kind of silly. Like, okay, like now what? (laughs) And so if you feel that way, you kind of miss the point of this exercise. This step is not about creating practical paths. It's really about generating as many creative ideas as possible. It's going from, well, what should I do next? Which is a problem solving mode to well, what can I imagine? What are things I can imagine? And so on my next episode, when I come back for the, the last episode from this series, we're going to move into the prototype phase, specifically how to do an odyssey plan. I'll introduce you to Jenny Blake's happiness formula and one-year vision statement. And so in that final episode, you'll end up with your quote unquote, practical vision of what's next for you using a lot of the information and data that you've collected from this episode's exercises and from the first episode's exercises. And so I'll take you to the end of the design thinking process, what that looks like so that you can actually get moving on your career transition journey. All right, that's all I have for you. Happy brainstorming, happy ideating. If you want to work with a one-on-one coach, I still have limited spots to work with me for this year. I work with folks for six months at a time. We go through an entire journey where we start with this work, the career exploration process. And so if you're interested in working with a coach, I would love to work with you. I'd love to help you make this transition in a way that's thoughtful and just very reflective and exciting. So uh, if you're interested, head over to ecmpodcast.com and sign up for a meet and greet with me. I would love to meet with you. Have a great rest of your week.